Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was in is and is to come. With all creation I see praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything and I will adore you. Fashions of lightning, rolls of thunder. Lifting in honor, strength, and glory and power be to you, the only wise Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to With all creation I see Praise to the King of Kings You are my everything And I will adore you With wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, spread living water, such a marvelous mystery. Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is come. With all creation I see praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything and I will adore you. The Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. When all creation I sing, praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you.
God is able, He will never fail. He is Almighty God, greater than all we see, greater than all we have. He has done great things, lifted up, He defeated the grave, raised to life. Our God is able, in His name He overcomes. Oh, the Lord, our God is able. God is with us, God is on our side.
what I'm trying to be, the truth that will set me free, is I'm just a broken man, loving my Jesus, showing my scars, telling my somebody. Now, before I get to my text, let me say a few things here. Uh, first of all, I want you to notice, uh, before we read our text, that in the scripture here, the Bible itself gives us a little foundation before the text, which is Psalms 51. Uh, in fact, I wish the whole Bible was written like that, because a lot of times when you're reading and you're studying the Bible, sometimes, I don't know if it's you or, or me, but a lot of times it's hard to tell exactly where you are in the history of the Bible. Amen? I mean, you don't know if I'm, is this during the reign of, of Daniel? Is this going on to King Darius or, or, or Ezekiel, whatever, you know, whatever taking place at that time? It's hard to tell, but, but, but I like this psalm because it gives us a good foundation. Now, Psalms 51 is, is basically about David turning back to God because Psalms 51 is a, is a Psalms of repentance. And so today we're not looking at the side of David that we mostly hear about, but we're going to look on the other side of the spectrum, the time in David's life where he fell and he was in complete brokenness and turned back to God. And so uh, it's going to be very familiar to us because a lot of us here today are, or may be in the same place that David is in this text and that is completely out of the will of God. Now, I know that you're in church this morning. You think, well, I can't be out of God's will because I'm in church. Well, that's 
as halfway true because, you know, the Bible does teach us that let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one, or, one another uh, as long as the days are approaching. But what we have to understand is that you and I, we all have been called by God and we all have been gifted by God. And so if you're not using the gift that God has equipped you with, then more than likely you are not in the will of God. And let me give some scriptures. First of all, let's look in Ephesians 2.10. Paul tells us, for, for, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do in advance. And so right here is teaching us that God has equipped us to do what? To do the works of God. Secondly, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, the Bible says it was he, referring to God or Christ, it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare God's people for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so here we see that there's God who prepares us. He gives us the gifts. But we all have to work together as a body of believers to, to reach that place. And so if everyone's not doing what they're called to do, then it's kind of hard for us to get to that maturity and to attain that full measure of Christ that he's talking about here. And so if you have your Bible, go with me to Psalms 51. And we're going to look at this text because this text is a great pattern for you and I to not only get back into the will of God, but it's a great pattern of repentance. So once you find your place, Psalms 51, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Once you find your place, I ask you please say amen. Notice here the, the intro. It says, For the director of music, Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had after David committed adultery with Bathsheba. So here's the text. David said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me and against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justify when you are judged. Verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And so today's message is simply entitled, David's Pattern for True repentance. And if you would, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, thank God for his patterns. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Christ, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, even now, we just ask God that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would begin to fall fresh on each and every one of us here today. Father, we ask that the anointing would be Fresh on my lips as I speak what you have laid upon my heart this past week. God, I just pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You are my Lord. You are my strength. You are my, you are my Savior. And today, Lord, I just ask that you just grace me. 
to do your will. Hide your servant behind the cross and give us ears to hear. Don't let us be just hearers of the word, but let us leave this place today and be doers of your word. And Father, we praise you now in the mighty name of Christ. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So today's lesson is, is, is a great tool to put in your tool pouch, or, or like David, it's a, it's a great stone to put in your pouch. Because you may not be out of God's will right now, but eventually you will find yourself one day out of the will of God. And this pattern right here is great to have because when you get there, you can always remember it was Psalms 51 is what David cried out to God and got him back self into the will of God because it's so easy for you and I to get derailed, to get off track with what God has called us to do. And and the Bible will teach us that if we do so, that we'll be refreshed and we will be forgiven. Can I get an amen? And sometimes the hardest part is coming to that place of, of humility. And that's the place where you have to actually confess that I've been wrong. I've been out of God's will and I need to get back in God's will. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 and 6, he says, Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty right hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Acts 3.19, Luke tells us, repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And, of course, we know 1 John 1 and 9 that if we'll confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so here Luke is teaching us that, that we can be completely refreshed in the Lord And so ask yourself right now, have I been feeling a little stale in my walk with God? I know every one of you probably say, yeah, I've been feeling a little stale lately. Well, it may be because there may be certain sins in your life that you have not confessed before God. A lot of times we think we're just going to hold on to these sins and we, we need to hang on to them. But the best thing to do is to let them go, confess them to God, get them off of you, and give them to God. And I can promise you he can set you free. So I'm going to give you four separate verses that will show you that you and I are very much like David. David was the man after God's own heart, amen? But David, too, was just a man. Can I get an amen? And that means that David was a man who made mistakes. And so if you think you're someone who does not make mistakes, that you do not sin, then we're going to look at a few verses that will pretty much show you that you are not out of this game. Come on, amen. Isaiah tells us in 64 and 6, he says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins, they sweep us away. Paul tells us in Romans 3 and 23, we know this one. For all have sinned and all have fallen short to the glory of God. Now, we know 1 John 1 and 9 because we always, we always, you know, quote that when, you know, we'll confess our sins. But sometimes we need to look before that and after that because this kind of helps us understand where we really are. 1 John 1 8, John says, if we claim... We claim to be without sin, what? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his truth has no place in our lives. Can I get an amen? 
And so we should always use David as, as, a, as, as, as a character that we can relate to because David himself was a man who loved God, but he, self, he got himself in trouble. And so I'm going to take you back before, prior to this story. I'm going to give you some background, what's taking place before David comes to repentance because we all need to be on the same page. And so what you have to understand, it was the time that, that, that the, it was time for war. I think it was early spring. And so David, he sends his army out for battle. Maybe the Philistines. I'm not quite sure who they were fighting at this time. But instead of going into battle, David stays back at home. This is the first key right here. This is where David starts to get in trouble. A lot of times we get ourselves in trouble when we get ourselves in idleness. When we're not doing nothing, when we get kind of bored, you know, when you're at home and no one's there but you and you're all alone and you're sitting there, you're bored and you start going through the internet or whatever. Next thing you may find yourself on the wrong channel. Come on. Amen. And, and that, that is where basically what David did. Here David is. He's done sent the whole army of Israel out to battle and he is all alone on the roof walking around. Probably bored like, oh, man, I should be out with the boys. You know, I should be out fighting like I, sh- like I always do. But here he is on the roof walking. Then all of a sudden, the sweetness is turned up. He looks around, and there she is across the way, a beautiful young lady named Bathsheba. Not only beautiful, but she's on the roof taking a bath. Now, I don't know why people would be bathing on their roofs now, you know, it seems kind of strange, but maybe that's the way they did it back then. But here she is now. Realize that this was probably not the first time that David saw Bathsheba. That was his neighbor. And he knew Uriah the Hittite, her husband, because he was in his army. Come on, amen. So I'm sure this was not the first time that he saw Bathsheba, but this time it was a little different. Because here he is, he's all alone. Come on. He's all alone. He's bored. And now she's up there without clothes on. And so what happened was maybe the temptation of her just being beautiful was not enough. So what does the devil do? He turns up the heat, takes off her clothes, and puts her on the roof. Now, now David finds himself in trouble because he calls for this man's wife. And so she's brought to David, and we know that David has relations with her, and she becomes pregnant. Now, I wish David had 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which tells us no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, that God is faithful and just. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. David needed a way out, but instead he called for this woman, and now he has a woman that's not his wife, another man's wife, and now she comes back to him after relations, and she's pregnant. The man after own, God's own heart has now committed adultery. Are you with me this morning? And so we, we find David is already in trouble with God because the Bible tells us, Jesus clearly tells us, he said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, He's already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And so now she's pregnant, and so David's in the panic mode. Instead of doing what was right, he should have confessed his sin. He should have came clean with Uriah. 
And it probably went much better for him. But instead, what he does, he tries to cover up his sin. Come on, is anybody with me this morning? So what he does is say, you know what? I'm going to call Uriah the Hittite home from the army. He's been out for several months now. He's probably wore out, exhausted, and he misses his wife. So, you know, when he comes home, he's going to be wanting to be with his wife. Come on, amen. So he calls in trying to cover himself up. Said, well, you know, if he's with his wife, then he's not going to think it's anybody else's kid but mine. But see, what he didn't, what he didn't realize was that Uriah the Hittite was a man of integrity. So he comes home from battle, exhausted, but instead of even going into his house, he refused to even see his wife. But what he did, he stayed in front of the palace's door, guarding the gate. In other words, he was on guard, even though he could have been with his wife. He said, you know, I'm not going to go out there and fight when my friends are out there fighting. I'm not going to go and be with my wife until they come home. It wouldn't be right. And so David now in panic mode said, what am I going to do? He said, I got an idea what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring him in. I'm going to intoxicate him. I'm going to get him drunk. And then I know he'll go home and be with his wife. No, 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 no. Did not work. Instead, he continued to sit at the doorway of David and guarding his front door. Man of integrity. So he has to come up with another plan. So here's what he does. He calls the commander of the army to come in, and he tells him, said, listen, I want you to take Uriah the Hittite, and I want you to put him on the front line where the, 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 the battle is the most fierce. And when the battle gets hot, I want you to tell the guys to pull away and leave him out there. And so all of a sudden, Uriah the Hittite is out there fighting for who? For Israel, for David, and his whole army pulls away from him. And he is left alone, and he dies a hero's death. That's terrible, isn't it? And so now David has this on his heart, on his his mind. He, He has a friend that he has betrayed, committed adultery, and now he's about to get rebuked by the prophet of God. You know, God ain't gonna let you get away with it too long. He's gonna come right on down your neighborhood. You say, oh, this is just an accident. I'm in church today. No, 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 no. If you're in this room today, and if you're getting a word from God, I can promise you, you may not like the word that you're getting, but you got to consider God has a way. You may be from Alabama. You may be from Oregon. You may be from Idaho or India. I don't know. But if you're in this room today, you may be even listening on a CD somewhere. But if you're hearing these words, i got news for you. God is speaking directly to you. Can I get an amen? But here's what you got to understand. Before, before the prophet of God, Nathan, before he rebukes David, keep in mind that David already had two wives. See, a lot of people didn't know this. But David had a wife named Abigail, and he had a wife named Ahinium. I think I said that correctly. And so I want you to listen to this rebuke of the prophet because it's so much like Jesus himself is speaking because he rebukes him in a parable of all things. Let's read this together. I'll read it for you. Second Samuel 12, 1 through 7. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it 
and it grew up with him, with his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Verse 4, now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Verse 5, the Bible says that David burned with anger against a man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan turned to David and said, you are the man. Man, wouldn't you love to saw David's face at this point? Here he's fierce, angry. This guy needs his butt kicked. Come on, amen. But, but instead, he, he's looking off into the mirror at his own sin. And that's what happens to us at church. We, we think we're doing great. We're doing fine. Now all of a sudden you walk into some little country church. Then God opens up your mail in front of everybody. Come on, amen. And you're saying, oh, Lord, have mercy. I'm guilty. So the first thing that David does in verse 1, he cries out to God. And I want you to listen carefully. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. And so what David is doing right here, he's saying, Lord, please don't judge me according to my ways. Don't judge me according to the ways of the world because I've done proven to you I can have no pity on somebody. And I surely don't want to reap what I have sown. Can I get an amen? Lord, I, I don't want you to judge me the way I judge you rather hit tight because I would not have a chance in hell. Come on, amen. And so he cries out for God for mercy. And what I love about David is that he understood God. He knew that God was not just a merciful God, but he was full of mercy. In other words, it's overflowing out of God. And so we... David's reminded of Deuteronomy 4 and 31. The Bible said, For the Lord your God is a merciful God and will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. In Daniel 9 and 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Now, here's what we got to keep in mind. We got to keep in mind at this point in David's life, He's a very wealthy man. He's the king. He could have anything he wants in life. And so that means he could have, you know what? I'm just going to offer God this great sacrifice. Bring in a thousand cows and heifers. Let's just sacrifice these bulls and goats and rams. Let's, let's lay it out and let's, let's have a great sacrifice for my sin because it's going to please God. No, no, no. David knew that God was not satisfied with sacrifices or offerings, but he desires mercy. Can I get an amen? Even Jesus tells us, he said in Matthew 9, 13, he said, but go go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I think some translations say, but sinners to repentance. God desired mercy from us. 
In other words, when, when you stand before God, we, we don't want to remind God of all the good things we've done in life. When we stand before God on the great day of judgment, we need to cry out for mercy. Everybody say, Lord, have mercy on my soul. Man, that's the first thing. That's the first thing I'm going to say to God. It's like, God, have mercy on my soul. I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb. I put my faith not in what I have done. I put my faith in what you accomplished, your life, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. I'm not trusting in horses or chariots. I'm not trusting in religion. I'm trusting in the Savior of the world, Yeshua. Come on, amen. The King of kings. So true repentance starts right here. A change of heart. A heart that's willing to confess that I have been wrong and you cry out to God for mercy. But here's the way a lot of people look at it. They think, you know what? I was wrong, so I'm going to, I'm going to try to pay God back with maybe money or with this or that. God's not satisfied with you. You can be the richest man on this earth, but it, but you can add, what are you going to give God who owns the cattle on a thousand hill? How are you going to give God something when he owns everything? That there's nothing that we can pay. There's nothing that, that we can give except complete humility before God. Say, God, I am sorry. I need some mercy on my life. Because I don't matter what you do, it's not going to please God. My Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we see, secondly, that that David understood that God was a God of compassion. David knew that God was merciful, but he also knew he was compassionate. And so what we need to understand is that God understands what we're going through on this earth. And he has compassion. He, He understands when we stumble, when we trip, when we fall. It's not a surprise to him when we make mistakes. Sometimes you say things and you're walking out like, man, I can't believe I said that. Come on, amen. Even this week, I had someone that post something and my blood began to boil and I said something ugly. I did. I, I did it. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Am I an idiot? I know better than that. But, you know, you, you, sometimes that, that little red devil behind the pearly gates, come on, you know, the tongue. It gets out of control and it says things, you know, come on, Mr. Bob, you told me yourself. Come on. Sometimes we say stuff and we think, what in the world am I doing? Well, we need to understand that God is merciful and he is compassionate. And he understands that we are people who who we just read, we all sin and we all fall short to the glory of God. And so we need, to cry, we need to cry out to God for his mercy and cry out to God for his compassion and remind ourselves of the word of God, which tells us that he is very compassionate. Psalms 116 and 5, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Psalms 145 and 9, the Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all he has made. And even James, the half-brother of Christ, says, in, in James 5.11, the second part, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. But here's where I want to take us next. When we confess before God, we need to understand that there are three ways 
that God can cleanse us from our sins. Did y'all know that? He washes us. He blots out our transgressions, and he cleanses from all sins. Let's read the text. Verse, the second part of verse 1, blot out my transgression, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me of my sins. So let's break these down. So number one, God will blot out. What is he going to blot out? Blot out your transgressions. What are transgressions? Transgressions are the outward sin. Iniquities are the internal sin. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised. He was bruised for our iniquity, eternal sin. So he blots out our transgression. So the outward sins, God said, I'm going to blot them out. So, so in other words, God has this book of life or the book of sins, whatever you want to call it, and, and that either means he's going to erase it or he's going to mark through it. Come on, amen. I'm not sure how it all works up there, but I know what the Bible says in Revelations 20 and 12. It said, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book is open, which is the book of life, and the dead was judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Come on, amen. So, so the sins are recorded, and Isaiah 43 and 25 says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. I guess he has may have a dry eraser. Them things are pretty good. You can ride it and just erase it. Come on, amen. And I hope that all my sins are written in dry eraser. You can just wipe it off real quickly. Number two, he washes away. What does he wash away? Our sins. But a lot of times we don't understand this is also talking about the clothing that we wear. Not the physical clothing. He's not going to wash your blue jeans, guys. I'm talking about the robes of righteousness, the robes of Christ that he gives us. And so we, we also need to understand that, that we're called to, to wash ourselves in the word of God as well. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. Revelations 22 and 14. Blessed are those who wash your robes that they may have a right to the tree of life and go through the gate into the city. Now, in First in Corinthians, Paul, he gives a large list of all the different types of sin. There's, there, there's thieves. There's, there's there, all, all the sins are basically written out there. But what he does, and he tells in First Corinthians 6 and 11, he said, that's what you were. Listen carefully. He said, and that's what some of you were, but you were what? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That, that's why I cannot stand when these preachers get up and say, you ain't nothing but a rotten sinner. No, that, that's what we were. Yeah, I know that sometimes we sin and we fall short to the glory of God, but it's not our lifestyle. Come on, Amen. There's not a person in this room that does not make mistakes, but, but what I'm saying is that we are not, in the eyes of God, referred to as a rotten sinner. We are referred to as the righteousness of Christ. In other words, when he sees you, he's not looking at your mistakes. He's looking at the blood of the Lamb, and that's where we're going next, the, the third part. Number three, 
Number three, the cleansing. We know that's cleansing with the blood of the Lamb. We know that John the Baptist said that, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes and what? Takes away the sins of the world. How does he take away the sins? He pays for them he, with his own blood. First John 1, 7. But we walk in the light as he is in the light. Then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all, everybody say all sins. So, so which one does that mean that, that that's not covered? Do you understand when it says all? That means the ones that you did prior Prior before your salvation, the ones you did after you get saved, and the ones when you get old. That means all your sin from, from the beginning of your life to the ending. That means from the sins of Adam to the last whoever he is or she is. Every sin that's ever been committed has been paid for in full by the blood of the Lamb. What sin is not covered? They're all covered. So, so that gives us that gives us peace because it doesn't matter what we do, it's already covered. But, but our job is what? Our job is to confess it because when we confess it, we put ourselves in the will of God. Say, God, I, I know it's covered, but I want to confess it to what? To get it off my conscience. Because as long as it's on your conscience, it's going to crush you. And that's what David did. He had these sins on his life, and instead of going before God right, right, right directly to him, he walked around carrying them for years. He was the king, and pride was puffed up inside of him. Instead of going to the cross, confessing his sins, he bared them. And because of it, he suffered. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, and been brought near by the blood of Christ. Revelation 7, 13 and 14. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, sir, you know. He said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's amazing. How are you going to wash something in blood and make it pure as white? What does that scripture say? Though their sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Isn't that crazy how that works? That, that the blood has the power to purify us, to cleanse us, and it's already been done 2,000 years ago on the cross. Can I get an amen? So verse 3, David says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Always before me. In other words, no matter where I go in life, those sins are still there. Don't you know people talk? You do something wrong, you may not feel too bad about it, but when people get word of it, they're going to begin to talk. And so can you imagine what they were saying about their king? Oh, I heard old David, man, we'll call the Bathsheba off the roof. Yo, come on. There she is, man. She got one in the oven. Come on, David was bad. And you know they're talking, so no matter where David's going, they're like, oh, there's David, let's be quiet. Come on, amen. So, so he's, no matter where, he said, my sin is always before me. And so because he held it in, though, before getting it off his chest, listen to what David says in Psalms 32 and 3. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away and my groaning all day long. In other words, if you don't get this off of you, your sins become like a pressure cooker. 
Y'all remember those things? You can put bones off in there, and you put them bones in there, they'll get chewy. Come on, amen. In other words, you hold this sin inside of you. Don't you know that men are the worst about imploding instead of exploding? Women explode. Come on. They just explode. But men, no. Men will hold it in. Walk out of the room. Chin stiffer than a brick. Come on, amen. And they hold it in. Because they hold it in, they will have a heart attack. It will kill you because the pressure will build up to a place it will destroy you. Get it off your chest. Confess your sins to your wife, to Christ. Open up with it and say, Lord, I got to get this off of me because it's killing me. Can I get an amen? And that's what David did. So we're going to skip the last part because we know that we were all born in sin. I don't have to cover that. But we're going to look in verse 4. This is where I close. Verse 4, he said, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you approve right when you speak and justify when you are judged. So here's the question. When we sin, who is it that we're actually sinning against? You're right, Bob, the Lord. We said, well, we're sinning against ourselves. We're sinning against our neighbor. But in reality, we're sinning against God. Because God made us all in his his likeness, in his image. Let's look at the word love, for example. 1 John 4.20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hate his brother, he's a liar. For whoever does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It, it all falls on God. So, so that to me, that helps me get it off of me quicker. I'm not just sinning against my family or my children. I'm sinning against the one who made me. I'm sinning against the one who is willing to go to the cross and lay it out and die for me. So, so when I get in the, when I get my mind in the right perspective of who I'm really going against, then it's easier for me to get it off of me. Cause see, I could hold a sin a long time for my wife and not say a word. Can I share something with you? I'm going to share, this is true. This happened last night. So, I know I'm ADD, so hang with me. So the devil comes to me last night in my dream. And we had watched something, and this guy, he had, his wife was cheating on him just by talking on the phone with a man. So the devil wakes me up, and he says, he says, you know your wife's been talking to guys. Come on, amen. And I'm thinking, you lying devil. My wife ain't talking to no guy. Come on. And so I start rebuking him, and, and, and I'm just, man, I'm giving the scriptures. And I start standing on the word of God, and I'm starting to sweat. I'm getting nervous, and, you know, I'm ready to fight. Then all of a sudden, this happens. She just rolls over, and her hand falls over on my head. She said, I remember doing that last night. It was actually this morning when I was, you know, I was always stirred up in the hand. And but, but just a moment that my wife put her hand on my head, it just, it just made everything better. Because I knew that the enemy's just trying to work on my mind from something I saw stupid on television. You know, he plays with you. 
Because the night before, I'm fighting robots. Yeah, I had the crazy dreams. I mean, I'm fighting this robot. I mean, he was huge. And I'm, I mean, she woke me up and said, what are you doing? You kicking and punching? And I'm trying to sleep, but I'm fighting robots. But, but the hand, it was just the hand that fell on my, the touch made everything right for me. Well, in the same way, think about it. When the devil comes and he lies, said, you know you ain't forgiven. Just don't you know that, that God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Don't you know the hand of God said, no one can snatch you out of my hand? Hallelujah. And so all you got to remember is where we are in Christ. We are in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. No matter where we go, he has us. So when we fall short to the glory of God, and we will, we just get it off of us. The quicker we confess it, the more clear your conscience will become and the easier your walk with God will become. We got to learn from David. He washed away my iniquity. He cleansed me of my sin. He purified me from all unrighteousness. He'll wash you. He'll cleanse you, and he will purify you, and he's already done it. Let's all stand. I want to give you this opportunity this morning to confess your sin before God. This is not a Catholic church. I'm not a priest. You don't have to come and confess your sins to me. I'm not that. I'm not a priest. I'm just someone who's willing to stand up here and pray for you. Our Bible says you, you have not because you ask not. Some of you have been walking out of the will of God. And you say, you know what? I need to get back in God's will today. So I'm saying to you as a man of God, don't leave those doors the same way you came. If you're troubled in your mind and your spirit and you're trying to get things together in your life and no matter how hard you try, it just seems like you're in this battle constantly, then I'm saying, hey, turn the battle over to God. The Bible says the battle is mine, declares the Lord. Don't you know you can't lose when God is on your side? You may be trying to have a relationship, but you can't have a relationship unless God's in the middle of it. One may be be overpowered, two may defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Can I get an amen? Me and my wife, we've been together almost 29 years now, is because we have Christ in the center of our relationship. So it doesn't matter if the devil comes to me at night and lies about some phone call that never happened. I can trust. All I need is that touch from my wife. It's good. Amen. What about you? Are you saved? Are you washed? Are you cleansed and purified before God? You can walk out of this door pure as snow like you never sinned ever before. But all you have to do is confess it. You can come up here and give your life to Christ, and he will save you even today. You may just need prayer like Bob. He needs prayer. Y'all continue to pray for him this week. As the doctors try to figure it out, God's already got it figured out. Help him get caught up to speed there, Lord. Help them doctors. Give them a little wisdom. Father, in the name of Jesus... Lord, I come before you even now in the name of Christ, and I thank you for this service today, and I pray that even now, 
those who are who are, who are coming to you in their hearts, Lord. There, there's things on their mind. They're, they're ashamed to come up here, but, Lord, you're listening even now to their hearts. Father, your word says you have not because you ask not. Lord, I ask you in the name of Christ to give your people what they are asking from you today. They may be asking for peace. They may be asking for financial support. Whatever it is, God, bless your people from the north, south, east, and west. Lord, just go with us today and keep us safe. Keep us focused and keep us healthy and be with those who are sick today and bring healing to them in the name of Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name. God's people said amen. You guys have a blessed week and we'll see you next week.